We are going to start a new study this morning, so we're going to be in the book of James. And so if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of James this morning. We're going to be looking at a fascinating uh, 10-week series, just discovering what James has to teach us. And uh, it, was, it was comical for me this morning because one of the things that what James really deals with is new life and growth and maturity and, and all these sort of themes align up with spring. And so I was thinking, oh, well, this is sort of a start of spring as we've had in the last few days. And then, of course, is it spring anymore? No, all that got thrown out the window. So it was a little comical for me. But one of the reasons that we're starting a study of James is that some of the conversations I've been having with God has is, is really been reflecting how, how much of a season of testing this has been, hasn't it? Uh, this has been a, a season of, of testing relationships. This has been a, a season of, of testing submission and obedience to leaders. This has been a season of testing our emotions and how we respond. This has been a season of, of questioning and wondering what God is up to. And, and that's what the book of James is all about. It, it's all about you're going to go through testing in life, and the way you respond to those tests are either going to grow and mature you in the faith or they're going to lead you farther away from God. And so that's really a, a perspective that I'm bringing with this series. And it was fascinating to me because last night in our vision and prayer meeting, one of the themes that came up when we were talking about this season uh, was that this is a season of testing. And I just said, you know what, that is such an affirmation of what I'm entering into this week and what we're going to be entering into this week. So uh, I, I want to just pray for us as we begin this study in James together, and we're going to move forward in the Word of God together. So let's just bow in prayer once again. Gracious Father, we come to you, and Lord, we, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. We thank you that you are a God who has not left us to our own devices and our own strategies and our own desires and passions, but you are a God who calls us to yourself and your purposes and your plans in this world. And Lord, I pray that as we approach the book of James, that you would be softening our hearts to what you have for us, that you would be molding our character that you would be growing and flourishing our spiritual maturity. Lord, one of the major statements that James says is, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And so I pray that as we enter into this study, that Lord, we would not just receive your word through our ears, but you would transform us by the power of your spirit to live out these things so that the world around us would be transformed for, for good and for your glory. We pray this as we submit ourselves to you in obedience under your word, under your desires we submit. We thank you, gracious God, for the wisdom that you give us, and we pray this only in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Okay, so as we jump into James, I guess the, the first question we got to deal with is, is, who is James? Who is this guy? If we're going to be reading from him, then who are we talking about? And, and so any perspectives on who James is? Who, 
Yeah, we're talking about the brother of Jesus, right? Most scholars will attribute this letter to the the brother of Jesus, but obviously we're talking about a half-brother, right, when you think about it. And so we're attributing this to a family member of Jesus, someone who grew up with Jesus. I'm sure someone who got in wrestling matches with Jesus, knew him very intimately, knew all these things about him, knew what Jesus was like. And James really gives us this beautiful perspective on someone who knew Jesus very well. Now, what's fascinating to me about James is that James has this major transformation take part in his life, especially in his relationship with Jesus. Because when we read about James and the family of Jesus, as Jesus is entering into his ministry, as he's teaching, as he's doing the miraculous, what was Jesus or what was Jesus' family reaction against him? They were telling him to stop, right? They were saying, they were using language where they came to grab Jesus, and the literal language that they were using is that Jesus is out of his mind. Now, why would his family be saying this? What was Jesus saying? Yeah, Jesus is talking language that he is God. And so his family, wanting to protect him, wanting to take him away, they, they say, no, we need, to, we need to grab Jesus because what he is saying is going to get him in a lot of trouble. And so the first instance we really see of, of James is someone who doesn't fully understand who Jesus is and even doubts that Jesus could be God. That's the first instance we see of James. And of course, what Jesus was doing and what he was teaching ultimately led him to the cross It led him to his crucifixion, his claims to be God, his claims to be the divine is what led him to death. And so James and his family all along, they're questioning, they're confused, they don't know what's going on. And James himself is still a denier that Jesus is God. And yet there's an event that takes place in history that absolutely transforms James' life. And what event is that? What event is that? The resurrection. It transformed everything in James' life. James goes from a doubter of questioning and wondering who Jesus truly is. After the resurrection, James becomes an overseer of the church movement. And what's fascinating to me is in 1 Corinthians 15, when, when we read about the record that Paul has of the gospel... And he talks about the eyewitnesses that met Jesus. Guess who's at the front of the list, a part of the front of the list? James. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus, post-resurrection, one of the first people he goes to is his brother, James. And he witnesses to him and he shares the gospel. And James finally realizes who Jesus truly is. And that drastically transforms James' life to this extent. James becomes an overseer of a group network of churches. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's writing, he's trying to equip and engage churches. And James has such a devotion to this faith, to this trust that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he is God, that James would actually become one of the martyrs of the faith. And, And if you're someone who's who's questioning the historicity of the resurrection, and if you're someone who's wondering, did Jesus actually rise from the dead? James is a beautiful biography. James is a beautiful person to look at in history to say, 
this actually happened. Amen, church? And so what we see in the life of James is as he's teaching, engaging churches, um, all that would get him into trouble as well. And it would get him to the point of trouble that would actually cost him his life. And the Jewish historian Josephus, uh, Josephus writes about how James, because of being a leader in the church, he was ultimately stoned to death. That basically rocks, large rocks were thrown at him and he was basically murdered. Uh, Eusebius has a similar description, but he adds something. He says what actually happened to James was the religious Jewish leaders actually took James to the top of the temple. And once they got to the temple, they pushed James off the edge, and he fell. But he didn't die from that fall, which is mind-blowing to me, but it says they beat him to death afterwards. And so that is the life of James. That, that is the person that we are talking about when, when we engage what he has to teach us through the Holy Spirit of God this morning. And this is the life he was going out the, the writing style James has here is a little bit different than some of the, the other New Testament writings we have uh, because the writing of James here is more like uh, wisdom literature. Uh, what are some examples of wisdom literature that we have in the Bible? Things like Proverbs, right? Things like Job, right? Th these are books that give us an indication of wisdom literature. Well, James is sort of an example of a New Testament wisdom literature where the whole concept of James is, is giving us instruction, giving us guidance, what it looks like to be mature in the faith, what it looks like to live a wise life in following Jesus, what wisdom is like in a life in obedience to Jesus. And so what we'll see is James' thoughts are sort of everywhere. There, there isn't that much cohesion to it, but the reason for that, I think, is, is life ever perfectly structured and organized? <laughs> no, it's not at all. And, and I, I, James sort of writes with that style where, you know what, life has a lot of different things come at you at different times and a, lit, a lot of different issues that you have to address on multiple levels. And, and James is going to give us this wisdom and how to handle and work through all of what life has to throw at us. And so I'm going to spend 10 weeks just examining this book together, and I really want to look at what I call 10 marks of spiritual maturity. Now, there's way more than 10 that I could examine here, but I believe these are sort of the main ones that James is trying to bring up to us. And I want us to be, every week, examining something afresh and new of what James is teaching us through the Holy Spirit of God and examining what it looks like to live a wise life. And so we're going to be in the first section today. And the, the mark of spiritual maturity that James brings up today is that to be spiritually mature, we have to have a persevering wisdom in life. We have to be persevering. We have to be steadfast. And we have to depend on the wisdom of God to do that. And so let's jump into this letter together and start processing this. So this is how James begins. He says this, verses 2 to 4. He says, count it all what? Count it all joy, my brothers, my sisters, the family of God, 
When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, the, the first thing that James really tells us is that life is going to be hard. Anyone associate with that? <laughs> life is going to be hard. There's going to be trials. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be testing. There's going to be a lot of things that you have to walk through in life that are going to test your faith. And, and he, he says that these types of testing and trials are various. Who's experienced various trials in life, right? And, and what he's given us perspective is there's going to be a lot of different things in life that attack you on different fronts. There's going to be many trials in life that come at you that you're not expecting, that come out of the blue, that come from things you would never thought they would come from. And, and we, can, we can process this pretty quickly too, even, even a sense of uh, emotional testing. Who's felt their emotions being tested lately, Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Emotions are being tested. Uh, physically, there's testing. Some people in our church are experiencing disease and sickness and illness where our physical bodies are being tested. Um, financially, we get tested at times where, where things are stretched thin or we're uncertain of what the future holds, or, or mentally, we get tested. I mean, our, our culture right now, mental illness and depression has just been skyrocketing these last few years. We get tented, tested mentally. Uh, relationally, we get tested. We get tested in how we treat one another and what our conversations look like, the grace that we show to each other. Um, we get tested in all these different fronts. Maritally, you get tested. If your, parent, your parenting gets tested, all these tests are consistently and constantly coming out of at us in life. This is where uh, James says there's going to be various trials in life. And here's the thing. Who here likes tests and exams? <laughs> None of us. Just Hudson, okay. <laughs> it's, it's been comical for me lately because uh, I'm finishing the semester up teaching at Vanguard College, and the final exam is two weeks from now. And it's comical to me because all my students are emailing me and coming to me and asking me questions, and they just say, Micah, we need to know everything that's on the exam. Please help us. And, and I'm just I'm sort of laughing inside because they're just so stressed about it, right? And I said, don't worry. It's going to be okay. Don't panic. But we naturally hate testing in life. We don't like to, to be exposed to what we don't know, Right? And James is sort of building off that, but, but James is, is using trials and testing a little bit more metaphorically. And what James is talking about when he talks about trials and testing is there going to be events and circumstances in life that test you for who you truly are and what you truly believe. And the language that James uses for testing it is more like this, this concept of there's, there's these impurities in our life. There, there's this um, imperfection in our life. And all these things get exposed when we go through hard things. 
Our character defects get exposed. Our emotion uh, stability gets exposed. The way we treat others and the grace we have gets exposed. Sin in our life gets exposed. And and so James is saying all these trials and testings that are going to come to you are going to expose a lot of things in your life. Now, when you're doing a a writing exam for school, perhaps, when, when you do a test... What usually gets exposed is your ignorance, right? You get exposed to what you don't know. And James is saying in life then, when we go through trials and testing, what gets exposed is our character, our hearts, how well we actually trust and faith, have faith in God. So many things get exposed in the hard times of our lives that God forces us to deal with. And so why does, why does God allow these things? Well, We have to process this question. James gives us perspective that God allows these hard times, these difficulties, these taking out of our comfort zones, these temptations to come in our life to actually transform us, to actually change us, to actually help us grow and mature in the faith. And and so this is what's, what's crazy that James says. He says, when you go through all these things, when all these various trials come in your life, we're supposed to do what? Count it all joy. What? Who here experiences joy when a, a, a tragedy comes or suffering comes or a hardship comes? Joy is the last thing we think about. Joy is the last thing that we would ever comprehend of walking through painful things. And yet James says, count it all joy. Well, well, how can he say that? How can he communicate that to us? Why would God want us to experience joy when we're going through difficult times? Well, I think, first of all, we have to make a distinction here. Because when when we talk about joy as a culture, so often what gets thrown into that language is the language of happiness. Because usually we're joyous when we're happy, right? But, But James doesn't make that equation. There's a big difference between being happy and being full of joy, right? Happy is based on circumstances, isn't it? So, for example, yesterday, it was beautiful, bright, and sunny. Who here was happy, right? We wake up this morning, snow on the ground in April, and who was a little bit sad, right? (laughs) Circumstance, but, but even more than that, it's, it's even based on more circumstances. Uh, for example, even last Saturday. So last Saturday, I had a beautiful day. I went out to Marmot and Jasper to do some snowboarding. And it was just dumping snow. It was beautiful. And so I was so happy that it was snowing. It meant I got to do the double blacks and not have to worry too much about falling on my head, right? I could fall in powder, not have to worry too much. Beautiful day. But on the same day, Rebecca was driving down to Langley to help her mom who just had hip surgery. And so she's driving the same day, and it's snowing like crazy. Now, I have so much happiness on the mountain. She's driving through the Coquihalla. Is that a very exciting thing to do when it's snowing? No. And so our happiness is so dependent on our circumstances, and yet what James is saying, that joy is when happiness isn't there. 
Because who goes through life with pure happiness, where everything goes the way you want it to? Anyone ever experienced that? Probably not even for one day at a time, right? (laughs) We don't go through happiness because our circumstances are always changing, but James is saying, you know what? There's a joy that God has for you. That's despite your circumstances. That's despite everything you're going through. Now, this is interesting. Joy comes in spite of circumstances, but why should we have joy in them? This doesn't make sense. Why should we experience joy when we're going through all these things? Because God is doing something beautiful. And God is taking even evil things that come in our lives, and God can take those evil things, those hardships, that suffering, that pain, and He can take them and allow them to happen in our life. He doesn't necessarily cause them, but He allows them to happen, and He can produce good out of them. That, that's why we can have joy. So hear, hear this language. This is really why we can have joy. Because the testing of our faith produces what? Produces steadfastness. And he says, let steadfastness, this perseverance, have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, what's this language of being perfect and complete? It's this language of maturity. It's this language of growing. It's this language of coming into fruition of everything that God created you to be. And so what, what is our image? What does is, what is perfection in life look like? What are we obtaining? What are we striving for? Ultimately, what are we living for to emulate? Who? Jesus Christ, right? So when we talk about maturity, when we talk about the language of being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, James is saying, this is how you look like Jesus. This is how you look and grow in the likeness of Jesus, is when you go through these difficult times, count it all joy because God is developing your character. God is growing you in spiritual maturity. Which is a beautiful thought because that means God doesn't just live, uh, let us live to our own devices. That doesn't mean any suffering that we go through, our, our suffering is not meaningless. Our suffering does not have a purpose. Our, our suffering actually accomplishes something that God can use for good in our life. And, and so he uses this language of steadfast and perseverance of maturing in the faith. Now, here's how that plays out. Uh, So many of us, when we go through hard times, the last thing we want to do is process them. The last thing we want to do is often reflect on them. And and a question I have often here as a church is the question, uh, why has Freedom Session become so effective? Now, for those of you who don't know, Freedom Session is a 28-week, basically, healing discipleship process. It's not a program, it's a process. And one of the things we do intensively is we look back on the hurt and pain and suffering and trials that we have went through, and we process them. And we ask the question of, well, what was God doing? What was He accomplishing? How was He changing me? How could this be used for my good? 
And so we intensively look at all these different events in our life and we're able to process them and we're able to have our character formed and changed and growth to happen because we actually took the diligence of asking God the question, how are you trying to make me more like Jesus through this? Because that is a key question in any season. God, how are you trying to make me more like Jesus through this? Because our temptation is not to ask that question. Our temptation is when circumstances come that we don't like, we like to fight them. We fight against them or we flee from them, right? We, we fight against them or we flee from them. And God is saying, no, I have established you in those things so that I can form you and grow you into the likeness of Jesus. That is what I'm trying to accomplish in your life. So you can fight against those trials, but you're not going to learn anything. You can run from those trials, but you're not going to learn anything. You're not going to grow into who I have created you to be. And this is the temptation we all have. Who's tempted to take the easy road out when we face trials, right? It's, it's our first temptation. This is hard. I want to get out of it as fast as possible, right? We do this in so many fronts as, as churches. We do this in so many fronts as culture and society. Uh, relationships get, get difficult and hard, so what do we do with those relationships? We say, oh, I'm done with that relationship. I'll find another one, right? A job gets difficult or perhaps a relationship with your boss or coworkers get difficult, we say, okay, well, that's got too difficult, so I'm just going to find a new job, right? We do this in, in marriage in our culture where marriage starts to become challenging and we have to put work into it. We just end that relationship and say, okay, I want a divorce, I'm out, right? We, we, we go through friendships and friendships become strained and instead of communicating and processing, we just end the friendship. And even this happens in churches too, where, where churches go through a hard time or conflict and, and instead of processing and working and communicating and seeking God through those things, what do we do? We just leave and say, oh, it's easy to find another church, right? And, and all those things, what happens in our lives is when we avoid and, and we, we deny or when we run from any trials or testing that we go through, one thing that doesn't happen is you will not mature. You will not grow in your faith. You will not mature in your spiritual formation because God has placed us in those events in our lives to produce steadfastness, being perfect and complete, growing in the likeness of Christ. And so this is, this is the calling of perseverance that James places before us. He says, persevere through those things. Persevere because God is forming you in them. Now, he adds an element because that sounds extremely difficult in life, doesn't it? That sounds almost hopeless to some extent. But James offers us hope here. He says this next. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom... Who here lacks wisdom, right? All hands should be up. If you don't think you lack wisdom, then you especially need wisdom. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask who? God. Let him ask God. Where does wisdom come from? Wisdom comes from a person. Wisdom comes from a relationship with God. Let him ask God. And here's what's beautiful about God our Father. This is how amazing he is. It says, God 
gives us wisdom. How? Generously. Generously. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? For us that lack wisdom, for us that are constantly making mistakes in life, for us that want to run from trials, God gives wisdom generously when we ask of it. Now, here's what's beautiful. Gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. He gives it without reproach. What does that mean? What does this mean for God to give without reproach? Well, what it says is that we have this beautiful opportunity to come before God, to humble ourselves, to submit ourselves, ask for help, ask for help and wisdom in this life, and God, He doesn't shame us. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't bring up things from the past of how we failed Him and failed tests. He doesn't mock us for our stupidity and our ignorance. He doesn't push against us and say, how stupid could you be? Why would you do this? He says, how do you not know this already? He doesn't do any of those things. He does it without reproach. He doesn't keep account in an amount of all the times that you failed tests or how many times you've come to Him asking for help and wisdom. He does it without reproach. That's beautiful. That means when we come to Him, when we come to humility and submission, God is actually joyous. And God is actually excited to grant wisdom to us. And so this is beautiful because that means that the hope in our life, the hope we have for wisdom. I mean, who feels hopeless when it comes to wisdom at times? Uh, yeah, we, the more, one of my professors I remember telling me said that the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. <laughs> That's more processing knowledge, but I think it works in the same way for wisdom too, is, is God comes and he offers generously wisdom to us. And we should be in a constant state of dependence, of crying out to God, God, we need wisdom, God, we need wisdom, God, we need wisdom. And he's going to give it to us generously without reproach. And what that means, though, is that we will never get to a place where we have to stop asking God for wisdom, will we? (laughs) We will never get to that place until we're um, in the presence of God, the fruition of the kingdom. But I even think for eternity, we're going to be engaging God in conversation to discover things that we can never comprehend. But, but God is always going to be granting us wisdom. Now, that also means that we're never going to be good enough at life to the point where we won't make mistakes. We're never going to be purely wise people. None of us are going to become gurus like Eastern spirituality. There's, there's no such thing in the Christian church. We, we all realize our need for dependence. But our hope in every day, in every decision we make, in all the stuff we go through in life, our hope is that God is generous with wisdom and He gives it to us without condemnation or guilt or shame. And that creates this beautiful relationship between us and God of what he can accomplish. But here's the key. Here's the key. James brings some clarification. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. 
For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, just to clarify, when James is talking about doubt here, he's not talking about intellectual doubt. He's not even talking about our conversation with Habakkuk where we're questioning and wondering what God is up to. The the doubt that James is talking about is really with that language of being double-minded. It's this doubt that says, the decisions I make and what I want to do in life are more wise and more right than God's, right? And none of us will probably admit, if we're Christians, none of us will probably admit that straight up. But it comes to the the question of analyzing your own life, well, well, did I pray for this? Did I seek wisdom for this? Did I ask God about this? Or is this something that I just did? Right? Practically, that's what it looks like. Practically, that's what it looks like to be double-minded is when we, we give lip service to obedience and submission uh, to God, but really we just live life on our own terms. That's what James is warning against, is double-mindedness. And he says that this person who does that, what are they like? They're like a wave of the sea. That happens what? They're tossed and they're thrown around, Right? And right when I read this passage, as I was studying it, a picture came back to me. And and I don't know if you guys remember this picture from from Advent, but Cynthia painted this picture. And uh, as soon as I read this text, this Cynthia's painting popped up in my mind. Why is that? Because the first thought I had, and if you can't see here, it's, it's a picture of a surfer riding a wave And there's this hand, which is sort of metaphorically the hand of God. So you're sort of riding through the chaos and storm of life through the sustaining power of God. And the first thing I thought, which has to do with James, is what would it be like to be the surfer with no surfboard? (laughs) Has anyone ever been caught in an ocean current or wave before? Right? I grew up on the ocean it was, I've been caught in many waves, and it was very scary every time, right? And, and what's fascinating to me is this, the, this is the image that James is bringing out. When you go through life on your own terms, in your own wisdom, in your own power, you're going to be like someone who's just being tossed around in a wave. You're going to have no control. It's going to feel chaotic. You're going to be confused about where you are. You're going to be disoriented. You're going to be thrown and crashed into probably barnacles and stuff, right? It's going to be painful. And, and this is the image that James gives is say, when you go through life in your own wisdom, you're just going to be tossed around. And, and so many of us get tossed around in this sense. We, we get tossed around with our emotions. We, we get tossed around with feelings of envy. We get tossed around by not being able to handle temptations in our life. We get tossed around by fractured relationships. We get tossed around by poor, unwise decisions we make, right? We create chaos in our own lives a lot of the time. And James is saying, when you go through life, that's going to be you on your own terms. But he says, with God, with the power of God, with the hand of God in your life, so to say, what's going to happen is God will give you wisdom. 
God will sustain you. God will give you a peace and security in the midst of storms. God will allow you not to be dashed on the rocks, but actually sustained and actually have a joy through the season. Because even this picture, count it all joy. Now, if you were just getting tossed around by a massive wave, is that much fun? No. But if you're on a surfboard, is that a lot of fun? There's a lot of joy to that too, right? And so this is the picture that, that James is giving us. This is the, the concept that he wants us to have in life is, is when you go through life on your own terms, this is what's going to happen. But when you live for the wisdom of God and seek the wisdom of God, God will generously give you these things. God will give you the wisdom which allows you to persevere and even allows you to have joy in your perseverance of the trials. And so here's the, here's the good news. The only hope we have for this persevering wisdom is where? It's in God Himself. It's in Jesus. And the only way we have access to this persevering wisdom is because what Jesus has done. Jesus has shown us exactly the life that we are called to live, and He's accomplished for us an access and a relationship to God that we could not accomplish on our own. And so even when we're reflecting in life how, how we are so unwise, I mean, again, let's just let's do some more confession. Who is unwise in life, right? Even when we confess that in life, we have this hope, we have the certainty that Jesus was wise. And Jesus provided a way to the Father for us. So even when we look at our own lives and what we have often is we either succumb to temptation, we look to Jesus, and did Jesus ever succumb to temptation? No, he lived a perfect life. And even us, when we look at our own lives and when we run from trials and we run from hardship, we look at Jesus who endured the most intensive trials and testing that any human has ever faced, and yet he passed. He went directly to the cross on our sake. And even when we reflect on our own life and we realize how much we have rebelled against God and how much we have been disloyal to Him, we look at Jesus, who is the perfect example of loyalty, who did the exact mission that He was called to do. And what James is reminding us is, is wisdom is found in a person. And when we seek our own wisdom and even our own lives, we're just going to constantly fail over and over again. We're going to be unstable. We're going to be double-minded. But when we look to Jesus, who the writer of Hebrews says is the author and perfecter. Isn't that interesting? The author and perfecter of our faith. Again, what's the point of James here? He says that you may be perfect and complete. Who does that? Jesus. Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. When we look to Him, when we follow in His footsteps, when we live the life that we were created to live, that is where we find this beautiful, persevering wisdom. And we realize that when we look to Jesus, the God who gives so generously of wisdom also gives so generously of Himself. Amen? That is the hope we have in this life, that God is a God who is generously giving of Himself. When, when we walk through the trials we go through, 
imperfections, impurities are going to come to the surface. When we go through trials, sin is constantly exposed in our life. And that can turn you into hopelessness. But what James is reminding us is, no, when you persevere in wisdom, you're reminded that Jesus has accomplished what you could not. And he has established a life and salvation for you that you could not. And so the the beautiful reality at play here is that God is always welcoming us to himself. And when you fail your tests, and you will, and I will, we're all going to fail our tests, we're all going to fail in our trials, we're all going to fail at some point in temptation, right? And yet the beautiful thing is, because of Jesus, we don't have to run away in shame, we don't have to run away in guilt, we don't have to run away from wisdom and think, oh, now I've got to do life on my own. But because of Jesus, we're actually welcomed into the presence of wisdom, into the presence of salvation. And God is the one, when we submit our lives to Him and we live with Him, that is where we find a persevering wisdom. That is our only hope for what James has for us and what James calls us to, to spiritual maturity. So let me pray to that extent. Gracious Father, we first of all come in thankfulness that you are a God who does not leave us as humans to our own devices. You do not leave us to our own wisdom. You don't leave us with a sense of meaninglessness of what we go through in this life. But you are a God who is able to take even the worst trials that we experience and turn them into good. You are a God who is even able to take evil and turn it into good in our life. And Lord, it's so hard for us to comprehend. It's so hard for us to even realize what it means to count it all joy. But Lord, we know James did that with his very own life. That even when he was mocked and ridiculed and even stoned and beaten and martyred for his faith in you, Lord, we know that in those moments... He counted it joy to be associated with his brother Jesus in death and in resurrection life. And so I pray for us as your people that when we go through the hardships of life, Lord, let us not live on our own wisdom. Let us not live in arrogance and pride. Let us live in humility. Let us live in submission. Let us not run from the things that you have brought into our lives. Let's not fight against them. And also, Lord, let us not flee from them, but let us walk through them, understanding that you can do all things together for good, for those who love you, and for your glory. And we pray that whatever we're going through in this life right now, whatever we're going through corporately, whatever we're going through individually, may you just empower us with your wisdom, empower us with your perseverance, so that we can be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, the likeness of your Son, may that be evident in our lives. As we talk to each other, in our relationships, in the way that we handle hard situations, in our attitudes, in our emotions, 
in our mental health, in our words, in our lips, what we say, all these things, may they be brought into your likeness so that we can glorify you, our good and gracious God. We thank you that you have not left us or forsaken us or abandoned us in our sin, but you are molding us to be beautiful just like you are. Thank you, gracious God. Amen.